that I have a God who can be touched and who understands my troubles and my situations, my problems. He understands my sorrows and my grievings because He also experienced life. Indeed, the best of heaven endured the worst of the world. But verse 27 and 28 are not just very deep, profound teachings. They're not just very revealing words coming from the heart of Christ. They represent two very different perspectives. Two very different perspectives. And that's our first point this morning. I want you to think about this as we consider this question, what's up with my life? Meaning the the focus being on eternity. Is there anything in my life that is focusing on? On eternity, Is there anything in my life that is focusing on that which is divine? On God's plan, purpose, provision, and so on. When we often get into issues or troubles, whatever that trouble is, whatever you want to fill in the blank with, oftentimes we are tempted to say in our heart or maybe from our mouth, how is this affecting me? I don't like the way this problem, I don't like the way this trouble, I don't like the way this scenario or issue is playing out on me. And that is our natural tendency because our natural man is really most concerned about number one and number one is us. And when we go through problems, when we go through difficulty, when we go through trials, we tend to look at it through this spectrum or through this prism, this perspective, if you will, on how does this affect me? And if I don't like how it affects me, then I want it to change. And notice what Jesus says. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Now think about this. He's obviously walking down a road that He is revealing to all of us a thought process that we have. He's going down a road to show us exactly these two different perspectives. And He's saying, I'm troubled. And and no doubt his troubles are by far weightier than any of the troubles that you or I experience. I mean, I don't know of any of us that have ever had to bear the sin of the whole world being holy. There's not one of us. The troubles that he experienced were by far greater. And he's revealing to everybody, my soul is troubled. And he lays out these two perspectives. What do I say? Father, save me from this hour. Father, get me out of this hour. Get me out of this moment. Remove me from this scenario. Remove me from this scene. Notice what that question says. Save me. Save me. That first perspective, that one natural lens that we tend to view circumstances and situations through is all about us. God, this is uncomfortable, this is difficult, it's painful. God, I don't like it, so I want you, God, to bring me out of this. I want you, the same hand that parted the Red Sea, I want that hand to swoop down and deliver me out of these painful circumstances, deliver me out of this difficult moment, or just make all the bad go away. Why? Because I don't like it. Why, when I'm going through tough times, do I bend my knees and humble myself and call out to God to deliver me? Get me out. Make it stop. Get it away. Why? Because it is affecting me. The basic fundamental truth of Christianity is that my life is not about me. That's 
basic. That is as fundamental to the follow to discipleship as anything else is that once I become a Christian, my life is not about me. My life is about the one who shed his blood for my sins, did what I couldn't do, gave me something I couldn't earn, and it's all about him. God is passionate, passionate about his glory. God is, if you don't believe that God is passionate about His glory, I I encourage you, if you can be back here tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to share a passage from, from the book of Acts that is absolutely insane as it speaks about how serious God is about glory. Jesus said, I'm troubled. I'm uncomfortable. This isn't a pleasant environment. And what do I say to my father? Father, get me out of here. Remove these things. And then he says, but for this cause, for this purpose, I've come. First perspective is all focused on us. It's one that we make decisions motivated off of our pleasure, our self-preservation. That's not the lens that Christ calls us to. Because the second perspective is what Jesus says in verse 28. Father, glorify Your name. The first perspective says it's about me. Please me. Save me. Rescue me because it's bad. The second lens. Verse 27 is what we typically say, think, or act like. Verse 28 is what we're to do. Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour, but for this cause I came to this hour. So Father, in light of the fact that I am standing here troubled, in difficulty, all of these things are going on in my life, my one prayer, my short prayer, my simple prayer, one that is indeed going to be able to grab the heart of God is to say, God, glorify Your name. Notice the difference. Save me? No! Glorify You. It takes the second lens, the second perspective, takes our focus off of ourselves and what we're feeling and begins to perceive things on how does God receive glory, honor, and praise from where I am at. The first is on me. The second is on Him. Two totally different perspectives. And Jesus shows us these perspectives and shows us the right one to do. Father, glorify Your name when You are troubled. When You are concerned. When You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. When You don't know if You're going to have enough. When You don't know if Your abilities are going to be able to meet. When You know that You're in pain. Things seem uncertain. Let me encourage you to not utter the words, God, save me from this. Don't say the words, God, make this all go away. Say, rather, God, glorify Your name. God, do not let me turn my events and perceive all of the events in my life on how they affect me, for You have called me to a greater thing. You have called me not to look at things on how they affect me, but to trust You with me and know that my life's purpose as a follower of Christ is nothing more or less than bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Let it not be, save me from this hour. 
but let it be glorify your name. Two different perspectives and two different pictures. Notice with me in verse 20. I want to back up for a moment. I want to give you kind of the the text, the context in which Jesus was speaking these things. It says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip and was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that a great, great statement? We wish to see Jesus. We, we just want to see Jesus. We don't need to see the works. We don't need to see all this other. We just want to see Christ. And notice verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man might be glorified. Here He's leading into it. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now let me read that that analogy one more time. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Grain. Jesus, speaking to a very agrarian people, is using this simple illustration to highlight what He's about to tell them. He is using a simple illustration of that of a seed. I love gardening. Beyond loving gardening, I think what I love more than gardening is eating from the garden. That's what I really like, and I know that I can't eat from the garden if I don't plant but so how many of you like to garden? Go ahead and raise your hands. Sweet. Okay, how many of you like it that other people like to garden? Okay, there we go. I have never in my life ever picked up a bag of seed and saw on there that it said, must plant in 30 days or we'll start growing. Must get in the ground in 30 days. Wouldn't that be funny? If you had seeds and they came in a little package, and when you get that package and you look at it, it says, oh, i got to get these in the ground in 30 days. Guys, I've had corn for like three years in my truck. Sometimes my, my truck, it falls out. I think I've got corn growing all the way from my house to Kansas. The, the, seed doesn't, the seed doesn't just start sprouting all on its own. Here's the crazy thing about seeds, and I don't know why I'm carrying this card around, thinking, making you think that it's actually a packet of seeds. It's not. It's just a little... Invite card. Those seeds need certain elements in order to be able to sprout. In order to serve the purpose that they were made. Jesus is not speaking about grain that's going to be ground up. He's talking about a grain that is actual seed that is planted to produce more seeds that will be grain that they'll use for bread. So what he's saying is you have one seed here. And this one seed, if it never gets buried down in the ground and dies... It is never going to live to its potential. It's never going to meet the purpose for which God created it. You hate take that seed. You can carry a corn seed in your pocket all day and you're never going to have it sprout. It only cracks open when the necessary elements are there. Climate, Moisture, soil. Jesus is talking about something. 
Look at that first picture, the living seed. He's saying that that one seed never gets buried down in the ground. That one seed gets held somewhere. It's not serving its purpose. It's not being buried. It's not dying. Thus, it's staying there a seed. It's being protected. The other seed gets down into the dirt. The other seed gets buried. The other seed dies. What happens from that seed? Life springs up. That seed that was once there has now yielded a hundred times what it would have being held in the hand of the farmer. Once it is in the ground, once it is dead, once it is buried, once it is covered, it begins to serve the purpose for which God created it. Jesus is drawing this awesome picture. Jesus is painting for us a masterpiece where we begin to look at this story as I'm not just a follower of Christ, but I'm one of those seeds. Which one am I? Am I the one that is held back and and preserved and safe and secure and protecting myself, praying for God to rescue me and preserve me and keep me out of danger and keep me out of harm and remove the difficulty? Or am I the one that in the midst of trouble, difficulty, of trial. I'm not saying, Father, get me out of here. I'm saying, Father, glorify Your name. And if that, re- if that results in being less of me and more of You, then that's what I want. You see, religion will tell you that we have to do this. Religion will point to the Scriptures and say we have to do this. A relationship with Christ says I get to do this because He did that for me. It's not about turning our feet this morning. It's about changing our heart. Christ gave us two different perspectives. Save me or glorify Your name, God. He gave us two different pictures. Notice what He says in verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. Jesus just used the word hate. Uh, uh, uh. I thought God is love. Why is He telling us to hate? What does that mean? We scratch our heads, right? Well, if God, what does God mean for me to hate my life? Does that mean I'm supposed to despise my existence? Does that mean I'm supposed to walk around all day hating this life and everybody else's life? No, not at all. We know God's will well enough to know that God's not saying for us to hate our life. What Jesus is doing is what He would often do in teaching is draw this parallel by saying we are to love the, our life eternal this much. And in light of how much we love eternal life, we can't love two things that way equally. What he's saying is if we love our life and love, place our love in the, in the amount and the veracity that it's supposed to have, this other side is going to appear like we love less or detest. He is drawing this description. And I believe he is using serious language 
to show us, please hear this, to show us just how much we should despise that attitude of it being all about me. I believe Christ is showing us by that strong language that we are to think less of our life in this world in the sense of how it affects us, in the sense of preserving it, holding it back, failing to bury ourselves in the midst of where we're at for the purpose that we may receive new life, that fruit may grow and abound for the glory of God. Jesus wants us to take our focus off of us and place it on Him. I guess maybe one of the problems is how we, is maybe in the title of this sermon. What's up with my life? What's up with my life? Maybe we need to change that. Maybe we need to get to that place where we say, God, it's not my life. It's your life. Living it through me. The life which I now live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want to show you the last thing quickly. 25 and 26, He who loves his life will lose it. Meaning he who holds on, preserves, tries to hide his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. He who loves his life in this world by far less than he loves the life in the world to come. Let me give you a cross-reference, Luke nine twenty four. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, the same will find it. Jesus is saying the only way to understand, to experience life the way he gave it is when we get our priorities right and place him at the helm. We get two different perspectives, two different pictures. One a living seed, one a dead seed. The second, or the third thing is that we get two different promises. The promise that I have is that when I take the focus off of me, when I take the focus off of how this is affecting me, how these circumstances are affecting me, and I start putting it back on God, how are you receiving glory through this? Then I know that I am storing up rewards for eternal life. I know that when I enter into the glory of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be able to have rewards. I also know that while I'm down here, going through trouble, going through difficulty, but choosing to make that decision, that conscious decision to say, God, I pray that you would receive glory through this, I know I'm also being a witness and a testimony to others. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever gone through troubles? Raise your hand and please just... Don't laugh at this. How many of you wish that when you were going through trouble, someone would have been there to encourage you? Go ahead and raise your hand. Isn't that awesome that when we're going through troubles and we trust Christ and we're, we're preserved by His faithfulness, the witness and the testimony that is in the lives of others. Last thing. How do I glorify Christ in my situation? These are important. You may jot these down. How do I glorify Christ in my situation right now? Look what Jesus did in verse number 28. He said, Father, glorify your name. He used his mouth. 
when I'm going through difficulty. Praise God, He gave us a very clear means of communication. Not just to Him, but to others. Jesus said, this voice came not because of me, but because of your sakes. We have the ability to use our mouth. Look at the second part of verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. What God is saying to Christ is, I, I gave this voice at your baptism. I gave this voice at your transfiguration. And one day soon I will give that voice again. We can glorify God through our circumstances by trusting His faithfulness. God told His Son, I've done it and I'm going to do it again. The third thing in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Third thing, trust in God's victorious plan. When you're going through those situations and they seem difficult, remember that victory is not determined by how we perceive it, but by how God receives glory. It's not determined in this life, but ultimately eternity will tell the true state of our victory or our loss. Number four, look at verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Walk with divine purpose in truth. Walk with divine purpose in truth. Know what God's Word says. You're going through difficult times, and, and, and I know I'm being very broad on that, but I know that there are a kajillion different examples we could use. When we're going through those difficult times, turn to the Word say, God, what am I supposed to do in this? And I'll tell you that it's always some derivative of trust. It's always some derivative of actionable faith. Always. And the last thing. We glorify God. He says, while well, you have the light, believe in the light, which means truth and revelation of that truth. While you have that light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of light. People, God receives glory through our spiritual transformation. God receives glory through our spiritual transformation. Our life is not about us. 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, whether you minister or speak, do all things to the glory of God. Do all things to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul told them that whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. In fact, in Ephesians, we have been adopted, we have been predestined, we have been redeemed. Why? For the praise of His glory. Three times mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 43, God says, go to the north and get them. Go down to the south and get them. And bring all of the people up here that I have created for my glory. You and I are unlike any other created being. That we have the privilege not just to reflect the glory of God passively in our creation, but actively in the process of our recreation. We have the ability to turn in the midst of trial and tribulation. We have the ability to turn to God with our free will and say, God, I am troubled. But I will not say, save me from this hour. Let the voice that rises louder and stronger and deeper 
be the penetrating voice of our heart that says, God, this hurts. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I want you to be glorified. Help me be obedient. Help me trust. Help me depend solely on you. I have no idea what you're going through. It's not for me to know. But the one thing I know, and let this comfort and strengthen your hearts this morning, is that God has a purpose and do not rob Him. Do not rob Him of an opportunity to receive praise and adoration through your circumstance or your situation.